A reading from the seventh chapter of Matthew. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? Do not be a hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. This is one of our sacred teachings. Thanks be to God. For the past few weeks, we've been talking about nonviolence. We've been talking about where violence comes from, why we feel this need to dominate, and what more effective approaches might look like. Using Jesus as our guide, we've talked about the need to understand others before we attack them, to be creative in our responses to violence in ways that do not perpetuate it. But today we're going to talk about one of the roots of violence, where it all comes from. Today we're going to talk about judgment. There's this myth we all grow up with, and it goes something like this. If I don't like something, then I judge it as bad or wrong. If I judge it as bad or wrong, then I react negatively towards it. I get angry about it. I get in a fight. I get passive-aggressive to try to fix the situation or the person. I might employ shame or guilt or I scream or I hit or I cry or I play the victim or I go to war or any number of things to try to manipulate the other into my image of how they should behave. All based on our judgment. And when we do that, when we live by this story, then one of two things is going to happen. First, the situation will change, but often not in a healthy way, not in the way that will last for very long or is good for everyone. Someone is going to be left to deal with a new helping of shame or resentment. Or second, the situation won't change. Nothing will change, but we do get to cross our arms and feel self-righteous because, by God, our judgments are right. I have lived by this story unchecked for most of my life, even though it's never truly served me. But then a few years ago, I was meeting with a spiritual director and complaining about how angry I was at everyone around me for not being anti-racist enough. They do this, I complained. They don't do that. They don't consider X, Y, or Z. And then when she'd let me tucker myself out, my spiritual director asked me a question that only spiritual directors or very good friends can ask. Zachary, she said, could you tell me what you are doing to embody anti-racist work? And of course, as she suspected I would, I froze up. Oh, I thought of a few self-justifying words, but the truth was clear 
and we could both see it. After a moment of awkward silence, she said something that I am never going to forget. She said, Zachary, if you haven't accepted something in yourself, then you will project it onto others with all sorts of negative emotion. Accept what arises in you, even the worst parts. Smile to them. Understand them. Love them. Watch them transform. Don't judge them. Accept them. This was my first introduction to the practice at the heart of nonviolence. Non-judgment. Our scripture text this morning comes from the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, a collection of Jesus' most sacred and often most misunderstood teachings. They are the keys that make everything else in his story make sense. Standing before the crowds, Jesus preaches, Do not judge, so that you yourself will not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure that you give will be the measure that you get. Why do you see the speck of sawdust in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the sawdust out of your eye when the log is in your own eye? Don't be a hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. And then, should you ever actually manage to get done with that, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. The greatest wisdom teachers all talk about eyes. Eyes are the lamp of the body. The world is nothing but the object of our own eye, our own perception. And this is because they know that what matters most is not what's going on out there, because we cannot really perceive what's going on out there until we look at what's going on in here. They know that all we have to do to ignore the plank in our own eye is to be busy judging the speck in everyone else's. The judgment in which you hold the world is nothing but the judgment in which you hold yourself. To the one who secretly feels unclean, the world is unclean. To the one afraid they do not know enough, the world is ignorant. To the one who does not trust themselves, the world is a dangerous place and everyone is out to get you. The work of acting nonviolently in the world starts with acting nonviolently in your own mind, in the judgments that you make. Whether towards yourself or others, your judgments, empty though they are, are your greatest teachers. The first sorts of judgments that we make are explicitly towards ourselves. A few months ago, I was cutting the grass and listening to podcaster and author Mike McArg, or Science Mike, do an interview. And during that interview, he said something so 
familiar that I had to stop what I was doing and give it my full attention. Genuine love and acceptance of anyone out there, he responded to a question, absolutely has to begin with the self. Our normal patterns of relating to ourselves are often incredibly violent. And when we are at war with ourselves, then we are so distracted. Then we are unable to offer any kind of real compassion or real love to anyone else. Case in point, he said, I deal with stress by eating. And so I've always struggled with my weight. And the other day, I was walking past a package of cookies in my kitchen and I stopped and I got three cookies out of the package, three. And immediately before eating them, I heard that voice in my head. You are so fat. Why are you eating all these cookies? What's wrong with you? And normally this would just set off a shame spiral that would wind up pushing me into more unhealthy behavior, affecting everybody around me. But in that moment, Mike said, I had enough mindfulness and enough love for myself that I was able to pause and smile at that voice, to smile at that judgment. I said, what's wrong with me? That's a good question. Thank you for asking. Well, I'm surviving a global pandemic. I'm feeling afraid. I need comfort. And that's okay. And then in swapping out judgment for understanding, I was able to say, now will these three cookies really meet that need for comfort? I don't think so. And then I went and hugged my wife instead. And then the next day, he finished. I ate two cookies. I had an immediate emotional reaction to this story as I heard it, because I know this voice, I know this self, the superego, the inner critic, so quick to say things like, oh, you idiot, what's wrong with you? And I was so moved by this way of responding to it. Learning to be non-judgmental towards otherwise, others, I recognized, had to start with learning to be non-judgmental towards myself. There's a plank in my eye, and that's okay. Let's see why it's there and what we can do about it. Then there's the second sort of judgment that we make, and that is judgment towards others. The specks of sawdust that we hone in on that make us feel so righteous in our own judgment. Teacher and author Byron Katie loves these judgments because, she says, they are our greatest teachers. They're our invitations, if we want them to be, to see the truth. She has a process of working through these judgments, and it typically starts with her asking her students to complete a process she's titled Judge your neighbor. Seriously, go for it, she'll instruct, handing out papers. This is the moment your ego has always waited for. Please be as petty as you can. And then once you've gotten all your judgments out, she will start her process. And she calls it the work. My mother is selfish and manipulating, 
I once heard a woman say to Byron Katie during a session. My mother should accept me and my beliefs. And Byron Katie listened until the woman had finished. And then she asked her first question. Is that true? Your mother is selfish and manipulating. Can you absolutely know that for certain? Yes, the woman would say. Really? Byron Katie would ask. And how do you know what's really going on in there? Do you know she's not just really afraid? Do you know that she just doesn't have, that she has needs and fears that she has no idea how to express? Your mother is selfish and manipulating, and that's bad, and she shouldn't be. That is your judgment. And I ask you again, can you be certain that that's true? The woman thinks. I suppose not, she said. And your mother should accept you and your beliefs. Is this true? The woman hesitates. Should she? Katie asked. Where do you think she would have learned to do that? Was her own mother a model of acceptance and understanding? Well, no, the woman says. When you put it that way, I guess she's being exactly who she should be. Acting the only way that she's ever learned how. And it's at this point in the work that the judgments we make stop making quite as much sense to us. The work gives us a peek beyond the veil into a world of non-judgment and non-violence, asking, who would you be without that judgment? My mother is manipulating and she should accept me. Without that judgment, if you accepted her as she was, how would you feel towards her? And the woman imagines the patience, the understanding, the peace. She imagines how she'd be able to set up boundaries and possibly even the healing that could happen with that sort of understanding. And then, here's the magic, Katie employs something that she calls the turnarounds. Turn those sawdust judgments around, she'll invite, and see what they might show you. See if there's something more true to them if you turn them around. See if they can show you the plank in your own eye. I am selfish and manipulating, the woman says, hesitantly turning her judgment around on herself. Oh, sure, Katie responds, especially towards your mother. She can't even have her own thoughts. The woman laughs and moves to her next judgment. I should accept me and my own beliefs. Of course, Katie says, if your values are so great, you live them. You don't need her validation. Accept and understand yourself, and then you can stop asking her to do it for you. And on it goes, judgment by judgment, until there's peace. Notice the sawdust you judge in your neighbor's eye and it'll show you the plank in your own. Children of God, when we learn to greet the judgments that arise in us, even the worst ones, towards ourselves, towards others, 
When we can smile to them, we can try to understand them and accept them, then we've discovered the key to nonviolence. Do not judge, our Savior teaches, so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment that you make, you will be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. So let us give non-judgment. Let us give acceptance. Let us give understanding. We can learn to relate better to the plank in our own eye. And we can learn to relate better to the sawdust in everyone else's. When we make peace with ourselves, then we look around and we see a world at peace. Our non-judgment towards ourselves becomes our non-judgment towards everyone else. In this way, nonviolence out there starts with nonviolence in here. May this be our practice. Amen.